Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. Uh, this episode we'll, we will discuss section 101 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So this is a lengthy section, and it's a section that is also fairly doctrinally rich. So when you combine those things, you get some some weight, some uh, I mean, some time to go through it and study. It took me several days to study this one section. Um, and so I've debated about how much to share because, I mean, for several reasons, there's so much. It's like, I don't, I can't, I can't possibly share it all. So then I'm faced with, all right, if I can't share it all, what do I cut it down to? Then there's also, you know, my, my personal family situation that I've shared with you guys lately that, you know, we just had a baby. There were some complications. My wife, who is doing much better now. But we still have a newborn child, and we've got five kids, and all under the age, or, you know, nine and younger. And so I've got family commitments, and so trying to keep my time commitment to the podcast, uh, it's something manageable. And so it's like, all right, what do I share? And so I think what I want to do in this section is just a couple of notes, a couple of maybe quotes and things. But what I want to do is share, number one, a reminder about this section and how it, we, we got here and how the saints got to where they are. And number two, just um, some personal thoughts and uh, reflections. So first, this is December 1833. Saints in Jackson County have been driven out. They were supposed to be given until January. They weren't. They've been all displaced, essentially. Um... They've been under nonstop persecution, essentially significant persecution since July of 1833, so for about five months. I mean, we're talking beatings, kill people have been killed, burning buildings, tar and featherings. I mean, the, this is the... To me, I mean, it doesn't just stop here, but... This is the start of the hardest time in the church history for me to read about. Um, the the natural man in me gets gets angry reading it. Um, the freedom loving American America loving person inside of me gets angry at America for allowing this to happen. Um, but. We need to remember how we also how how this came to be, right? So the Lord, throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, even, and I'm sure in other revelations that aren't necessarily even recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants, had told Joseph exactly how they needed to go to Missouri, when and how they needed to have be recommended there and go in order. They didn't do that, and the Lord chastised them for not doing that. And to be frank, from a historical context, from a secular context, it seems clear that that's at least one of the reasons they faced such harsh uh, persecution in Missouri. Because they rushed in. Uh, in Kirtland, there was only a 100 or 200 members of the church, but the church was growing and fairly rapidly in uh, Missouri because as members were being baptized and converting 
they didn't just stay where they were. They ended up coming, and where did they go? They went to, to Jackson County. Uh, many of the members who, I mean, I say already members, it's already, it, they're all new converts. It's 1833. But they, they, they went here in fairly large numbers, and Jackson County quickly became populated with members of the church. And Missouri, for a bit, and this is a surface level here, of a historical context, Missouri is the is the wilderness. It's the wild frontier um, of of the United States at the time. It's as far west as the country went, and there was I mean it was known for just outlaws and people who had no religion or and did not believe in or fear God. So when you mix that those types of people with a religious sect of people who come in in big numbers in a, in a country that is governed by, and in a state that's governed by, voting, democracy, republic, these, we'll call them native locals, these locals to Missouri, got pretty anxious about what this meant politically and for their society. You throw on another level that, as we'll see later on in, in, in 10 or so years from this point in time, Joseph Smith, their leader, is going to run for president on a very specific platform of anti-slavery, which was an important thing in Missouri and in the country at that time. There's, there's a lot of societal implications to the saints rushing in. And so the reason I wanted to go into this in, in this much depth and for this section as you study it and as you read about what the Lord is going to tell them and as you read about what the saints are going through, remember that this isn't happening in a vacuum. There's historical context and there's gospel-related, church-related context, previous revelation context. Um, Missouri is the land of an inheritance, though. This is, we know, the land of the New Jerusalem. This is uh, where Joseph of Egypt was promised that his seed would, would inherit. Who's his seed? Well, Ephraim and Manasseh. And as you look and see who most of the members of the early church especially were... Uh, what tribe were they assigned or were they adopted into or were they literally actually from in many cases? Ephraim. Um, and so there is this like, you know, there's this, we're, we're going to the land that we've been told to go to, but they did it in not quite the right way. The Lord tells them that they must needs be chastened. Um he says, Yea, I will own them, and they will shall be mine in that day when I shall come and make up my jewels. The Lord uses this in many cases to talk about redeeming his saints and calls them as jewels. How, do, how are jewels made? Well, all, all precious jewels are made through heat and pressure, through a refining process, quote-unquote. Uh, and it, to me, is related to this word chastening. And so they didn't quite listen. They weren't ready, really prepared. And so the Lord was going to chasten them. And he said, For all those who will not endure chastening but deny me cannot be sanctified. 
I love when the Lord speaks in absolutes like this because if we will endure the chastening and don't deny him, accept him, we will be sanctified. We can be sanctified. And we're sanctified through that chastening. We're either refined or we're ruined. And if you've listened to the podcast, that's something I've said in, in previous episodes, right? We're refined or we're ruined. What is, what is it that makes that difference and that change? It's humility and it's repentance. That's the line. You either fall on one side of the fence or on the other. You're refined or you're ruined. What's that tipping? That tipping point is being humble, meek and submissive, and then repenting. The te- and the scriptures teach us about chastening, and they teach us a, a, at least a, f- a few things. Number one, chastening is a cleansing process. So section 90, verse 36. Chastening leads to forgiveness of sins. Section 95. The Lord chastens those whom he loves. Section 95. Chastening teaches us obedience. Section 105, verse 6. And chastening refines us as pure gold. Job 23, verse 10. You can also see Malachi... Uh, for another reference to being refined. All right, I'm going to just share, I think, one more thing. Um, well, two thoughts, actually. So verse t- 10 through, or 20 to verse 22 tells us that we need to stand in holy places. Harold B. Lee said, As one studies the commandments of God, it seems crystal clear that the all-important thing is not where we live, but whether or not our hearts are pure. So apply this to the saints that you're reading about. And apply that however you will with the historical context that I've given, whatever. It doesn't matter where they live, but whether or not their hearts were pure. But now apply it to to us. It doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter if we're in a branch in the United Kingdom or if we're in a big old ward in Utah County, Utah, or anywhere in between or around about. doesn't matter where we live. What matters is how our hearts are. And if our hearts aren't pure, if we don't have pure hearts, clean hands, the Lord is going to refine us. He's going to put that heat on, and it's either going to ruin us or it's going to refine us. Joseph Smith said about this refining and about the persecution and the hardships and the chastening that these saints were going through. He said, I cannot learn from any communication by the Spirit to me that Zion has forfeited her claim to the celestial crown. Crown, Notwithstanding, the Lord has caused us to be thus afflicted, except it may be some individuals who have walked in disobedience and forsaken the new covenant. All such will be made manifest by their works in due time. I have always expected that Zion would suffer some affliction from what I could learn from the commandments which have been given. But I would remind you of a certain clause in which in one which says that after much tribulation cometh blessing. By this and also others and also one received of late, I know that Zion is in due time of the Lord will be redeemed. But how many will be the days of her purification, tribulation, and affliction? The Lord has kept hid from my eyes. And when I inquire concerning this subject, the voice of the Lord is, Be still and know that I am God. All those who suffer for my name shall reign with me, and he that layeth down his life for my sake shall find it again. Joseph continued, Now there are two things of which I am ignorant. 
The Lord will not show them unto me, perhaps for a wife's purpose in himself. I mean, in some respects, that they are these. Why God has suffered so great a calamity to come upon Zion, and what great moving cause of this great affliction is, and again, by what means he will return her back to her inheritance, with songs of everlasting joy to be heard. These two things, brethren, are in part kept back, that they are not plainly shown unto me, but there are some things that are plainly manifest, which have incurred the displeasure of the Almighty. All right, in my life, now I am going to say this tippy-toeing a bit, I guess. There are people that I know who have suffered much greater things than me. And I'm sure you would say the same about your life, but my afflictions have been real to me, right? I've shared some of them on on this podcast. Uh, I was what I think very unfairly thrown into a lawsuit that was outlandish and just crazy and unjustified. And it was something that sapped my energy and made it really hard to see the joy in life for a long time. And every day you wake up and there's just this weight on you. I've had a son born with special needs that we almost lost multiple times in the first week of his life. I almost watched my wife die after childbirth of of our fourth child. And these things, again, you know, there are people out there who, who say, oh, almost watched her die while I watched my wife die. Almost lost your son while I did lose a son, and I understand that. But what I, my point is this, is I have been through what I think it are some, some trials, some, some hardships. And in the midst of those, what I want to, what I want to get and share is, is what I learned in those and after those. Because I think no matter what your trials, whatever, hardships you've been through in life, whatever the path is that you've walked, I hope that there's something that I can share that may help you, that may help you learn from something that you've already been through, or learn uh, on the path that you're currently on and maybe going through right now. Section 101, verse 16 is a scripture that I have, I mean, like, in, in, in my own way, and that I have in my scriptures, like, my highest level of marking. I've got it, like, underlined, and I've got it, like, circled and squiggly marked, like, because it, it came to me in the midst of one of these midnights of my life. Therefore, let your hearts be comforted concerning Zion, for all flesh is in my hands. Be still and know that I am God. And it was simple, and it was, but it was powerful to me that I needed to let go and trust God. Trust that whatever He does, He does it for my benefit. Nephi taught us that He doeth not anything save it be for the benefit of the world, for He loveth the world. And I could, I applied that to me. When I, the scripture hit me and I realized, oh, it's not just about the world, it's about me. He doeth nothing for me. 
save it for my benefit. Section 122. All these things shall give thee experience, and shall be for thy good. And now, now it's like, look, you're going through a hard time, and you never want to hear that. It's not like, yeah, thanks for preaching to me and lecturing to me. But I want to read something that I just read a minute ago from Joseph Smith. Because some of the, some of the journeys that I've been on, they're gone. That lawsuit, it's over. We, I've, I've walked through it. It's done. It's, past, it's in the past. My wife is healthy. She's doing good. We've walked past that. But there are, in, in my family right now, there is a specific trial or specific just hard thing that we're facing that I don't know when it will end. I don't know if it will end. I don't, maybe not. Maybe it's just what we have to bear. Joseph said, But I would remind you of a certain clause in, in one which says that after much tribulation cometh the blessing. By this and also others and also one received of late, I know that Zion in the due time of the Lord will be redeemed. But how many be the days of her purification, tribulation, and affliction the Lord has kept hid from my eyes? And when I inquire concerning this subject, the voice of the Lord is, Be still and know that I am God. All of those who suffer for my name shall reign with me, and he that layeth down his life for my sake shall find it again. After much tribulation come with the blessing. And if, if your tribulation is a lifelong time, Imagine the blessing that's at the end. If you if you pay, you know, just a day's worth of, of sorrow, the Lord's going to amplify that tenfold. So now imagine if your if your sorrow or your tribulation or your your difficult journey is seven days, ten days, a month, a year, ten years, thirty years. Your entire life. The chastening is what makes us into his jewels. And that's the reward that's waiting. Here's what I've learned, and I'll end with this. And it's hard for me. It's hard for me in the midnights of my life and then through the hard times and the hard time that I'm going through right now and the, the, the uphill battle that my wife and I are facing with a specific challenge. It's hard to remember this. It absolutely is. But what I have learned and what I do know, and it brings me comfort when I remember, oh, remember, remember, is that Jesus Christ is the great Redeemer. He is the Deliverer. He has delivered me from my sinful bondage and from spiritual bondage but also from my temporal pains and suffering and hardships. And so what I know is that because that is who he is, no matter how long I face some challenge, there will come a day where he will deliver. And maybe it's not in this life. But I know that if I endure it well, that deliverance will come. 
and he will look at me, and he will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he'll only be able to say that if I am good and faithful in the challenges that I'm in. But I know that he will deliver me. It's what I've learned in my life. Jesus Christ is the great deliverer. He will exalt. As a matter of fact, I believe that so much that that's what I named my son. We named him Jehovah Will Exalt is his middle name. It's not really like, oh my gosh, this guy named his kid that? It's Jeremiah, by the way. That's what that means. But it's kind of came from a culmination of, of what I've learned in my life thus far. And then I know that Jehovah will exalt. He will deliver. The saints in, in Jackson County in Missouri, they probably didn't love Section 101 a ton. In that it didn't say, go back and fight and reclaim your lands. It didn't say, all right, it's going to be over in five days. Joseph specifically said in this quote that I read you, he didn't, the one thing that the Lord had kept from him was knowing how long this was going to happen and how the saints would, would go back in and, and claim it. And man, can I relate to that. In the midnights of my life, as I look forward, I'm looking down this tunnel, looking for some light. And I'm thinking, how much longer, Lord? And his answer to me is always, a little longer. <laughs> what, what, and what, what, what answer could he give me in that, in that type of scenario? What answer could he give the saints? Because time to him is irrelevant. A little time to him, not many days hence, maybe a decade or more, which is what the saints exist. This is 1833. What they, for 16 more years, essentially, 15 more years, they endure this. Now, in the, in the scheme of a life, 15 years isn't that long. You know, if you live 80 years or so. In the history of the church, 15 years isn't that long. In the history of the world, 15 years isn't that long. To the Lord, it's nothing. Not many days hence. The time is not far distant. But man, when you're at the beginning of that tunnel, or in the middle of that tunnel, or even at the end of that tunnel, near the end, but you still can't see the light, but there is light. Christ is that light. He is the great deliverer. The morning does come. And I guess one of the points I'm trying to make here is that maybe the morning will come in this life. Like it did for me in the lawsuit. I woke up one day and it was over, right? The sun came up. That that that, that quote-unquote night was done. But maybe... Maybe the morning doesn't come until the morning of the first resurrection. But it will come. Thanks for listening to this episode. Um, Bearing with me as I shared a little uh, bit in a different way this for this episode. 
Uh, enjoy your study this week and best of luck. And I hope to talk to you soon.